Starman in the NFL, his name, Derek Carr. Derek Carr is a star. A star is born in Derek Carr. Now the highest paid player in the NFL. Derek Carr. Derek Carr. Derek Carr must be an elite talent in the National Football League to deserve the most lucrative contract in the history of professional football, right? He must. Yes, of course. How could he not, right? Let's go to the playerprofile.com's seasonal rankings. Let's see where Derek Carr checks in. He must be near the top, if not number one. Let's check it out. Number one, Tom Brady. Number two, Aaron Rodgers. Three, Drew Brees. Four, Russell Wilson. Five, Matt Ryan. No, Derek Carr. Ten, Ben Roethlisberger. No, Derek Carr. Still no Derek Carr. Fifteen, Eli Manning. Carson Palmer. Oh, there's Derek Carr. There he is. <laughs> it's just impossible to fathom that Derek Carr is checking in outside the top half of quarterbacks in the National Football League. He's outside the top 16. Think about it. That's the new face of the NFL. And NFL fans and NFL media, <laughs> NFL media, I mean. NFL Network might as well change its name to the Kremlin Sportsnet, the way they pretend to cover the NFL. ESPN's an NFL partner. NFL Network is owned by the NFL. You're not getting any unbiased coverage. Across the sports media landscape, you're not getting unbiased coverage of the NFL. You're just not. Not even close. The league deserves significantly more scrutiny than it's getting. And the only place we can get any legitimate scrutiny of the NFL is HBO Real Sports. That's it. So journalism outlets like ESPN are compromised because they're partners with the NFL. They need the NFL for content. So ESPN is compromised. So think about this as you're absorbing the Derek Carr coverage this season. Because Derek Carr is the new anointed one. I don't know when or how this happened. But in the collective subconscious of mainstream sports media, Derek Carr has become the it quarterback in the NFL. And it's bizarre. It's a bizarro world that we live in when Derek Carr is the guy. And the beauty is we have a virtual reality for the NFL called Reality Sports Online. Reality Sports Online created by NFL front office personnel to imitate the experience of being a real NFL general manager. Reality Sports Online is the best platform for dynasty leagues where commissioners can create 32 team leagues with salary caps and contract functionality. And my favorite thing is the innovative free agent auction room that Reality Sports Online has developed. So go to Reality Sports Online now, migrate your Dynasty League to that platform, or start a new Dynasty League today. You can sign up for a free trial, and when you go to push the button on the purchase, make sure you enter the promo code UNDERWORLD. Fantasy just got real with Reality Sports Online. And the irony is that Reality Sports Online is a virtual reality where Derek Carr never is awarded 
a top five contract. And yet the virtual reality is a better representation of reality than the real National Football League. Because there is no reality that I can perceive in which Derek Carr is a top five quarterback in the league, which is where you would expect the next it quarterback to reside. And I question whether or not Derek Carr will ever get there. I have come full circle on Derek Carr because Derek Carr was strongly criticized after an incredibly underwhelming rookie year. 58% completion percentage, only 3,200 yards, 5.46 yards per attempt, not good. And since then, Derek Carr's completion percentage has risen three percentage points, another two and a half percentage points from 2015 to 2016. So he is improving, but we're only seeing nominal improvement in the yards and the yards per attempt. His passer rating has never crested 100. So I don't get the fascination with Derek Carr. And yet a Twitter poll was posted by at NFL asking fans which young quarterback they would prefer to start a franchise with. Derek Carr, Marcus Mariota, Jameis Winston, Dak Prescott, Carson Wentz. And the majority, the majority chose Derek Carr. More than 50% chose Derek Carr among five choices. That's damn near impossible to do on any poll, particularly one where the choices are mostly impressive with the exception of Carson Wentz. Now, I would have chosen Marcus Mariota. I think I actually did submit an answer to that poll in which I selected Marcus Mariota because of course, because it's obviously Mariota and it's not particularly close. If you're starting a franchise today with a young quarterback, you start with Marcus Mariota and you don't think twice because he's both the most efficient quarterback and the most mobile of the quarterbacks that I just listed. So... A downfield thrower who is accurate and careful with the football, as well as being a tactical scrambler. (laughs) That's exactly what you're looking for. Marcus Mariota is exactly what you're looking for in a young quarterback. Derek Carr is not. Now, there were some positive signals on the Derek Carr profile from last year. 42.6% deep ball completion percentage, number six in the NFL. And his production premium, which looks at Derek Carr's performance at any given down and distance against league average, plus 17.4, top five in the NFL. So while Derek Carr's counting stats were lagging many other quarterbacks in 2016, his efficiency on any given down and distance was excellent. And yet his passer rating outside the top 15, total QBR outside the top 20, yards per attempt, number 25 in the league, air yards per attempt, number 20, which is why his fantasy points per game fell under 18 in 2016. Derek Carr is not an impressive fantasy quarterback. He takes care of the football, less than 20 interceptions the last two seasons, and that's what you want on a run-first team. That's what the Raiders are. That's why Derek Carr is not in our top 15 quarterbacks, because he's not a particularly efficient thrower, and he doesn't operate in a pass-first offense. And Oakland just added Marshawn Lynch. Think Oakland added Marshawn Lynch because they want to throw more? No. Oakland has an elite run-blocking offensive line. They just added Marshawn Lynch. They're a run-first team. Derek Carr is a high-functioning game manager, helping the Raiders win games, running the ball, and playing great defense. That's what Derek Carr's been doing the last couple years, and the Raiders have rewarded that play by winning more games. And those wins are propelling... 
Derek Carr's popularity, but it doesn't justify the most lucrative contract in the NFL. It doesn't make him the best young quarterback in the league, not even close. And one of the reasons I'm so confident that Derek Carr is not an elite quarterback in the making, like this is the year. Derek Carr becomes a top five quarterback in the NFL. Not going to happen. How do I know that? Because Derek Carr exists in the nexus of the objective and the subjective football analysis. In the center of that Venn diagram, the subjective film watchers and the objective analytics enthusiasts agree that Derek Carr is not a top quarterback talent in the league. We agree. This is one of the rare occasions where I agree with Kean Fahey because Kean Fahey also believes that Derek Carr possesses significant flaws and is wildly overrated. Kean Fahey, what a moment that was for me. Just sitting back thinking, wow, Kean Fahey and I agree. What a moment. It was similar to the feeling that I had when I found out that Matt Waldman has Christian McCaffrey as his top rookie running back. Our process is very different, but we came to the same conclusion. That's incredibly encouraging for Christian McCaffrey. The film analysts and the metrics community are in agreement that Christian McCaffrey is the most impressive running back prospect in this rookie class. And in all my criticisms of Kean Fahey and Matt Waldman over the years, I don't doubt their knowledge base. They've watched thousands of hours of film on players. They are now able to recognize positive versus negative traits when they see them on film. I don't doubt this. What I doubt is their ability to consistently evaluate players based on criteria that they themselves have documented over the years. It's not that the methodology is wildly misguided. It's not. I believe that Matt Waldman and Kean Fahey are largely looking for positive traits that indicate success. But for one expert to consistently evaluate player after player without cognitive bias, disrupting and influencing their conclusions, well, that's impossible. That is why when the firsthand recommendations of experts are compared to the firsthand recommendations of machines based on the rules and methodology documented by the experts, the machines perform better. The machines are able to take the underpinnings of expert analysis and consistently come to more accurate conclusions than the experts themselves that architected the underpinning, that created the rules of thumb in the first place. You may ask, how is that possible? How is it possible for a man to be beaten by a model of a man? And Michael Lewis wrote a book about this called The Undoing Project. And it can be explained with an anecdote looking at oncologists identifying stomach cancer. And there are seven characteristics of a cancerous tumor that oncologists look for when diagnosing stomach cancer. So is it malignant or is it benign? Based on size and shape and contour, it dramatically increases the probability of a stomach tumor being malignant. And the experts in the field have identified these seven characteristics. However, when it comes time to implement these rules of thumb, and observe actual tumors in the stomach, the machine is better at identifying the malignant tumors than the doctors that programmed the machine. Because, because after all, even experts are human, and human beings are biased 
Human beings are uneven. Human beings can be tired. Human beings have bad days. Sometimes human beings come into work feeling whimsical. At other times, they come to work feeling morose. Machines provide the exact same output based on the exact same input every single time. And machines are better at evaluating based on the expert's criteria than the expert himself. And in these exercises that doctors participate in, for example, they are intuitively calculating probabilities, the probability that a tumor is cancerous. And that's what analytics is. Analytics are probabilities defining possibilities. And a machine that runs analytics on an MRI of a stomach is better at calculating the probability that that tumor is malignant. And all human beings fail and sometimes fail spectacularly when intuitively attempting to calculate probabilities. And that's what this undoing project by Michael Lewis is all about. And when you're reading the undoing project and Lewis is providing anecdotes in the field of medicine and social sciences, you can't help but think about film scouts. You just can't. It's right there in front of you because Michael Lewis started writing the undoing project as a follow-up to Moneyball. Because in the Moneyball book, he recognized that scouts were biased. And then in the Undoing Project, he set out to understand where those biases come from. And oftentimes, the egregious errors in intuitive probability calculation are derived from an underappreciation for the law of small numbers. Small sample sizes are what often undermine an expert's conclusion. So for example, we know that there's a roughly 50% chance that a married couple will have a boy or a girl. But if you take a random sampling of married couples having babies in hospitals, you find variance. At a particular hospital, you could find 60% of the babies born in a particular year being boys. It's possible. Now, if you had to guess which hospital would experience the most variance, 60-40, would it be the large hospital where 200 babies were born or the small hospital where 40 babies were born? Or would they be roughly the same? Or is the probability that a specific hospital was the outlier about the same? Well, as it turns out, most people think it's about the same, but it's not. More often than not, it's the smaller sample, the smaller hospital that's going to give you the 60-40 result when the demographics of the larger population are closer to 50-50. The outlier samples are more likely in the smaller representation, which seem intuitive as I lay it out to you today on this podcast, but they're not intuitive at all. The law of small numbers. Here's an example outside of football. Take a kid. He's wearing glasses. He doesn't look coordinated. He's holding a book. You say, what's the probability this child becomes a scientist when he grows up? Knowing that the probability that any given child in the population becoming a scientist is exceptionally small. A fraction of a fraction of a percent. Yet smart people will look at that child and guess that he has a 15% chance of growing up to be a scientist. That's wildly inaccurate. It's wildly inaccurate. And you see where I'm going with this. We know the probability that any given college prospect being Julio Jones is exceptionally small. Yet every year, multiple prospects are comped to Julio Jones! Michael Lewis explains exactly how these errors in intuitive probability happen in sports analysis without ever giving a sports-related example. It's beautiful. Think about Alabama football. 
Alabama football players look like professional athletes intuitively because NFL scouts, members of sports media, fantasy analysts have been conditioned over the years to perceive Alabama football players as on the cusp of professionalism. NFL teams have been trained to treat Alabama differently than other programs. I talked to Pat Forty from Yahoo when I participated in the Yahoo NFL Draft Show, and he told me something interesting. He said that most teams have a particular scout dedicated to Alabama. Alabama is the only school with dedicated scouts because NFL teams perceive Alabama as being an NFL player factory. That's why you saw so many Alabama players projected to go in the first round. And what was interesting was that Alabama players often were drafted lower than they were mocked because mainstream sports media is even more biased in favor of Alabama than even NFL scouts who have individuals dedicated to that program. Think about that. The pro-Alabama bias has so widely infected the football world that it is assumed five-plus players from Alabama will be drafted in the first round. And then even NFL scouts are like, whoa, whoa, not quite. No, Jonathan Allen is not a top 10 pick. Sorry, everyone, but that's just ridiculous. No NFL team is drafting a non-athlete defensive lineman with no position in the top 10. NFL scouts are highly error-prone, but they're not that error-prone. But generally speaking, the Alabama players often are drafted in the first couple rounds because it's the safe move. NFL teams are also highly risk-averse, so this is a positive feedback loop. Bias begets bias, begets more bias, fuels more bias. And that's how O.J. Howard gets drafted ahead of David Njoku. David Njoku is a better prospect by every measure. What do you want to look at? Size-adjusted athleticism? David Njoku. What do you want to look at? Age-adjusted production? David Njoku. And it's not particularly close, yet David Njoku gets drafted after O.J. Howard. Because, of course, it's Alabama. And David Njoku went to Miami. It's not like David Njoku attended some off-the-map program. No, 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 no. Miami was Alabama in the 80s. So what if you had David Njoku's profile and you went to a small school just north of Miami, like Florida International? Well, you'd be Janu Smith and you'd go in the third round. That's what would happen. Because Janu Smith's profile looks strikingly similar to David Njoku's. And that makes sense because the third round is where the NFL is comfortable pushing the button on small school players. That's where the stakes are lower. Small school players simply have to work harder to get noticed and end up being drafted many rounds later. Just look at Mike Williams versus Taewon Taylor. Taewon Taylor is the more impressive prospect, both more athletic and more productive. So that comparison parallels the O.J. Howard, David Njoku comparison. But Mike Williams looks the part. Mike Williams was the most aesthetically pleasing wide receiver in the NFL last year. And he went to Clemson. Clemson, who beat Alabama in the national championship game. And Mike Williams was one of the reasons why Clemson was victorious. That matters. As it turns out, that matters a lot based on what Michael Lewis and the Undoing Project found. Now, sure, the NFL got Corey Davis right. Of course, the experts sometimes get it right. That's their job to get it right. 
But it is fairly amazing that we're surprised when they get it right at this point. But congratulations to the Tennessee Titans. They got it right with Corey Davis, just like some kids do ultimately end up growing up to become scientists. But generally, how the NFL scouts and the film grinders, the experts in the field, grade players is less predictive than the analytical models. That's true. And the Undoing Project explains exactly how that happens. Mike Williams should not have been drafted in the top 10. The reason he was drafted in the top 10 is because of something called availability heuristics, which is a concept explained in the Undoing Project. We've talked about it on this show. We've called it the wow factor, that the wow factor biases us. When Todd Gurley hurdles a defender at Georgia, that has a disproportionate impact on our evaluation of Todd Gurley. When Mike Williams makes a one-handed catch in the back of the end zone in the national championship game, that heavily influences our evaluation and our perception of Mike Williams to the point that it distorts the real probability that he will be a success at the NFL level. Human judgment is disproportionately distorted by memorable events. That's what's meant by availability heuristics. And the specific bias is called vividness bias, which makes Derek Carr's contract all the more perplexing because I don't have a memorable throw from Derek Carr in my memory bank. But thankfully, the entire spectrum of football analysis agrees that Derek Carr is overrated. Both those making the subjective judgments based on what they're watching and the members of the football analytics movement who are implementing computer programs to analyze players agree that David Carr is the most overrated quarterback in the league. Now, I didn't say he's the worst quarterback in the league. I said he's the most overrated. I think Derek Carr is good. I was defending Derek Carr after his subpar rookie season. I like David Carr's college profile. I think Derek Carr is a good quarterback. I think in a different situation with a poor run-blocking offensive line, Derek Carr could be a top 10 quarterback, but not this year. This year, Derek Carr, a good quarterback, is mysteriously being rated as high as any quarterback in the league by his peers and NFL fans. That's what makes him overrated. And it is a mystery to me. I will devote the rest of this season to understanding how it came to be that Derek Carr is so grossly overrated. Because as the highest paid player in the NFL, Derek Carr has now beat both men and the models of men to justify his relatively astronomical salary.